0: when you can buy in-game items and sort of make your character stronger or get advantages. Now, I'll confess, when I play some games, I'll sometimes buy it because it is more fun if suddenly your character has a lot more great stuff that would take you six months or a year to build up. So sometimes I'll, okay, I'll spend 20 bucks and buy a, you know, a a treasure chest full of coins because then I can spend them to get cool things in the game. (laughs) Yes, folks.
1: Welcome, <laughs> uh, um, two guys who like to work for all loot boxes. Yes, I
2: work for here. my uh, yeah, I work for yeah. my, my player points here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome, folks. I'm left to recommend seventy-two UK railway strike, free Assange, and uh, and folks, I. We, yeah, we have an important story to get to. We have this uh, massive uh, strike in the UK uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that may reverberate for a while. Uh, uh, we have the emergence of a charismatic uh, labor uh, leader uh, right before our eyes. Um, and we got time for all that stuff. Um, what's important to get to up front is Ted Cruz is talking about uh, microtransactions. <laughs> we have some gaming news. Uh, and look, David brought this this clip to my attention uh, where Ted Cruz is talking about loot boxes. And I, I needed the full context. I needed to hear mm-hmm. how he qualified it, where he came down on it. And uh, I think actually playing the full question is uh, valuable because we hear a lot about, you know, Kids being victims of stuff. Well, this comes from a Ted Cruz listener who is concerned about uh, basically the uh, addictive nature of gaming combined with the financial exploitation of children. Uh, And uh, here is Ted Cruz's response to that.
3: There was a mailbag question that came in. I mentioned it to you a little bit earlier because I didn't know anything about it. But I, w-
1: is, I should say this is Ted Cruz's own podcast that he does with Michael Knowles, a uh, failed actor turned Daily Wire sort of hack, uh, which astounds me that I guess he has time for this. I mean, in between like Cancun <laughs> trips and stuff like this, he's doing a crappy uh, a show where
3: he's just doing what we do basically. Would would love your take on it if if you have formed one. Uh, This is from Chris. I believe Chris is, or I'm sorry, the the question is from Jonathan, but it's about someone who is one of your constituents. question is, uh, the Twitch streamer Asmon Gold uh, said he reached out to Senator Cruz's office about regulating loot boxes in video games. Where does the senator stand on loot boxes? I know that those are all words, and I understand they have been strung together in an English sentence, but I don't really understand what it means
0: semantically together. Uh, look, I'm I'm happy to engage in a conversation with him. I'm happy to to to, to, to see what he has to say on it. Um, as I understand it, the concern he's raising is is a a concern about gambling and kids. And and I will say it is certainly true that that social media, online environments, uh, including video games, are designed to be addictive now i 'm something of a gamer i 'm not a gamer like like hardcore twitch streamers and 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 i don 't don 't do the massive multiplayer games
3: not yet senator but i 'll tell you, I bet you never thought that you were going to be a top podcaster, so who knows we may have oh, to learn lo- this is just,
1: uh, this is just Michael Knowles coming in with some comic relief here I mean good lord, good lord that 's like a hard cut to Michael Knowles with just the lamest uh, um, joke ever. Um.
3: Yeah, anyway. launch the verdict Twitch stream and start playing Pac-Man or whatever the kids are playing
0: these days. Uh, that 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 could, could well be. And you remember when you and I did Dave Rubin's podcast, nice. we did a Twitch stream on playing, I think it was Nintendo that he had and, and, and we that's did right. that. And if I remember right, I beat his ass. I'm pretty sure that's right. And if not, that's, that's the... Sorry, I just could skip ahead. Look... There' are different components of it in games. I'll tell you, I don't like it when you can buy in game. So let's
1: see how he started that. I don't like it how you can buy.
0: Well, let's see how much he doesn't like that. components of it in games. I'll tell you, I don't like it when you can buy in game items and sort of make your character stronger or get advantages. Now I'll confess when I play some games, I'll sometimes buy it because it is more fun. If suddenly your character has a lot more great stuff that would take you six months or a year to build up. So sometimes I'll, okay, I'll spend 20 bucks and buy a, you know, a, a treasure chest full of coins. Cause then I can spend them to get cool things in the game. You know, I think it is a greater concern when you're dealing with kids, when you're dealing with minors who have a potential number one, to spend a whole lot of money.
1: Uh, do kids play video games? Oh,
0: I don't know. Um, and, you know, with some of the loot boxes, there's there's a fair amount of randomness that you could get a lot of great stuff or some lousy stuff. And so I guess that's the argument that it's gambling. I, I'll confess I haven't I, I'm open to hearing arguments on this, but I I approach the issue with a pretty strong libertarian bent. So I, I, I'd i like to not see kids exploited and harmed. Um. And so, but that is a contradiction with my libertarian in, in, values.
4: Exactly, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know there's a profit to be made. And let me just say, like, um, I'm actually not uh, entirely different than Ted Cruz. I've bought, I've, I've put credits into my team, and uh, and it is absolutely gambling, and it makes me feel the exact same way I felt uh, um, doing slot machines uh, in Monoman, Minnesota. Like it, as I was going <laughs> to say, like not great and like it, it is a hundred percent gambling it's it's buying i mean i guess you could make that argument about trading cards in general um and i'll like say i also spent an awful lot of money on uh, trading cards basketball cards particularly as a kid um and i don't know what the right governmental solution is other than like i mean one i think the first thing to say is that this is what you happen what happens with like it, inequality in capitalism is that mm. like, they're not going to leave that money on the table unless you force them not to
2: or, or, or monopoly too. Right. Like, mm. um, you know, like That's thinking about games like 2k, right? Like there is not a basketball um, game that has the licensing like NBA 2k does. And, you know, this might, you know, not be the most interesting thing to some folks, but like, it is worth noting that like what they've basically done is they've made the game extremely hard to play um they lower the quality of your players like you know if you play that game and you like have like a personally created character like you start out in the nba and you can't even dunk a basketball right like and they do that so that you can you either have to grind out for hours upon hours or give them like 10 bucks just so you can get your player like decent enough uh to be able to compete right and like that's a super super nasty uh thing to be doing on top of a game that's already regulated so that the price is sixty dollars up front Um, to then be making you pay 10-15 dollars just to actually be able to effectively play the damn game
1: yeah the my career mode is like i don't even that's the one mode i don't play because it's like your your guy just sucks unless you like give him 1999 for a series of tokens that you can say like okay now i have a serviceable jump shot at least um and i yeah it's 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 really wild how um you know like every i remember the theorizing of this like 10 years ago like how are these microtransactions going to uh, going to change video games. and so it, it means that they're very lucrative for a very similar product um, yep. a year in, year out.
2: Totally. Well, um, we got a fun episode coming up uh, for everybody. Uh, we're going to be joined in just a little bit by Chip Gibbons to talk about Julian Assange and the Biden administration's war on journalists and journalism. Um, but before we get there, we have a pretty exciting story, a hopeful story to start with. Uh, which is now the largest strike in decades in the United Kingdom, uh, where 40,000 members of the RMT uh, have been going on strike all throughout this week. It will continue throughout the week. Um, and it's it's been an interesting political moment, uh, you know, just to give people the bare bones in case you haven't seen it or followed it. Um, the union voted um, to take industrial action because with rampant inflation um, in th- they they 're effectively facing a pay cut here um, because their wage is worth less than it was a couple of years ago, um, and they have asked um, for a solution for their workers for the escalating costs of living and remember um, this just goes back to all of like the basic like first principles of like socialism and Marxism why do worker why are workers like the agent of radical egalitarian change and it 's because they hold a very very important role in production and in the functioning of society and in the united kingdom the railway system is crucial Um, and shutting this down has effectively shut down large parts of the country people who are trying to travel now you know are facing hours um you know transit times for things that used to just take them maybe you know 20 30 minutes right so this has been an extremely effective action um there's been a lot of pushback from the tory government there's been a lot of pushback from uh, ironically the labor party and we'll get to all that um in just a moment but i just want people to recognize just how historic this action has been how upright the workers engaging in this fight have been and also how wonderful the general public solidarity has been even for something that immediately is inconveniencing people people are recognizing that this is a fight um and out of a fight that is important a fight that affects them um, too, because better standards of living for their fellow workers also can translate to better um, standards of living for all of us. And like it's just been a really, really fascinating, um, fascinating story here. Uh, not the least, the rise of Mick Lynch, um, who is one of the leaders of the RMT, who has just been performing a masterclass, frankly, uh, for how to be a pro labor, pro worker uh, figure in a very, very hostile, right wing oriented uh, media sphere
1: yeah it's been and we will play a clip a few clips here but i just want to say like i've been doing this sort of job for a while and r- rarely when someone rockets to your attention like this is it for something that's good, good. uh <laughs> right it's like oh here's fucking jordan peterson i guess we got to deal with this guy for the next half decade um this sort of the way Mick lynch is just cutting through so much bullshit and able to like speak uh, just directly to all these, all the, just the vilest uh, sort of, I mean, the UK press is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is, it's just nasty, a nasty, nasty place, even relative, I think even compared to ours, my, my, my experience, honestly. Um, but let's, uh, let's play some of these clips here. Uh, this is the uh, here's clip number one. We'll do a little highlights uh, session. 3
2: so, this is, is a very sorry, good just, offer on the table. Yep. Oops, this 3 um, percent is a, this first clip is him engaging
5: with a uh, Tory backbencher. That 3% is a very good offer on the table with modernization. But you've heard even now Network Rail are moving to a position where they're saying we will go above 3% with modernization. And Mick's talking about you know, modernization is a scary thing. Modernization, such as installing an app on your phone so you can communicate better with your workers or having sensors on trains to detect um, deficiencies in the rail network in the rail network, I don't think are controversial things. I think they're good things because they means that drivers are safer and ultimately or, uh, people on the rail line as well are safer. And that's what we want to see, the best health and safety we can. And what Mick's doing is undermining the rail network. We know passenger numbers are down by about 20% but to pre-pandemic levels. We are in a world where we want to get to a place where we have net zero. That means encouraging more people onto public transport. These strikes are only going to drive people further away from it. And the pay rise that Mick wants will therefore just add more cost to the rail network, making it more unaffordable for more working people. He should be apologising to the doctors and nurses who can't get to hospital, Mm. the patients who can't get their operation, the kids who will miss out on their education today, but also those Armed Forces veterans who risk their lives for our freedoms, who won't be able to celebrate Armed Forces Day on Saturday. Do you want to
3: apologise for all that, Mick?
6: Well, I think Jonathan should apologise for talking nonsense. None of that is true. We have got... Uh, automated technology on trains. We've got pantograph cameras. We've got ultrasonic sensors. We've got things that detect faults on tracks. That is all rubbish. I negotiated that deal with Network Rail myself. We've got on-train technicians, uh, all sorts of new technology that is being deployed. So... That is just stuff that's written in Conservative Central Office for oh. backbench M- MPs to spout so no along with their veterans, ministers. Mick. Okay, so no now, sorry to veterans. I don't veterans. want this disruption. Fine. I don't want people to be uh, inconvenience, and an I want racing. a settlement to this dispute. I can't do that with a backbench MP who's just learnt it off a script. Well, hang on. Let me respond. let me respond to that. Let me
7: respond.
2: <laughs> I mean, just absolutely perfect, refusing to accept any of the premise. And I just wanted to note here, because it's going to be a little bit of the, of a theme in, in some of these clips and also some of the quotes that we're going to read out, that it's really vile the way that... Um, the the tories and the opponents of the union here are trying to use these kind of socially progressive talking points right as if like the rmt for example the the union here is the force that is standing up against decarbonization they want to get people back on the trains they just want to make sure that they're getting paid fairly uh for that that kind of work they want to make sure that veterans can go and celebrate on saturday it's The Tory government um, and these companies that's preventing that from happening by refusing to accept an extremely reasonable uh, deal for a pay increase to make sure that these people can continue to live in the communities that they serve as they've seen not only mass inflation, but inflation that has been caused because of corporate pillaging of the economy right? Like the reason that we're seeing so much inflation right now is not because workers have had it too good. It's because those at the top have been able to trap incredible benefits from both government policy and the way that the economy has been structured for generations to themselves that is creating a massive increase in inflation that is also only spurred on by these corporations and deciding that they're going to increase the prices that they charge consumers, right? Remember when people talk about inflation, what class is to blame? It's not the workers. And it's incredibly disingenuous of this guy to imply the workers there and also uh, to invoke climate change, um, you know, something that his party has done everything in their capacity to prevent any kind of serious action. on.
1: Yeah. And we really need to flood the zone with uh, sentiment here because you look at what the press is doing. This is the BBC that tweeted our article, passengers set to miss life events due to the rail strike. And uh, at mom Rad, emily has a, like, a very succinct way of putting it labor strikes disrupt life as usual because life as usual is built on the exploitation of workers. yes exactly and it's time to stand up to that um we also have doing this ronin uh uh
2: Well, let me just throw this in here just because because, again, for people who aren't in the United Kingdom, you're probably not seeing all these headlines. And like, yeah, there's like these sob stories where they're like interviewing students, you know, going into their final exam. And it's like, oh, my Lord, it's so difficult for you to take your final exam and also be worried about the trains. You know, this is so terrible that it's happening to you. And certainly these things have effects. Right. And people know that. Well, that's why they take industrial action going on strike seriously um but the framing is like look at these greedy um workers here who are screwing you over and not the government um or the corporations here and i just wanted to to note this clip because i think it's it's a fun one because uh, i believe this is sky news and they're trying to get this taxi driver to jump in on it and uh, he basically refuses i have it right here
1: it's tough times for the taxi drivers and it's even tougher times now that these rail strikes are gonna put a squeeze on on your on
5: your trade yeah First and foremost, I want to say that the uh, men and women of the train unions are totally, totally, totally 100% back them. They have a right to stand up for the working rights. Um, mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that we don't have more uh, unions that are strong enough to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, defi- I'm an ex-coal miner myself, so I believe in the union structure. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally support them. If it has to bite on us, then so be it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're prepared to do that. You know, we made a stronger stuff around these ports
1: thanks greg thanks for talking You're to me
2: <laughs> just did not go the way that they were hoping that was going to go did it
1: that's civilization like that guy <laughs> right there represents what i understand civilization to be if we get everyone to be a fucking citizen like that guy i mean just amazing and yeah like I, thanks for talking to me yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> um let's pull up this uh next bit too um just the yeah also we got to give like a quick shout out because that guy had an incredible fit too <laughs>
1: yeah i did <laughs> it's looking good <laughs> is this the liar a clip you uh you want to go sure whichever one yeah let's do it okay I mean, we could literally just go for four hours tonight with this guy's movie <laughs>
0: Oops, sorry. Halfway through these negotiations, while they were ongoing, That's the unions lie. came out That's onto the lie. street and gave an that impromptu a press lie. conference I and mean, T saying that the strike was right. going to continue. Okay, let's just
6: pause lie. hang on. I mean it's on video. Make Lynch, Mike Lynch, oh, Lynch that excuse is a lie. me. Make Lynch, I want to ask you a question. Lying. I want to ask you a question. Would you be prepared to negotiate with the Tory government, yes or no? Absolutely. I've met every Tory transport minister in the last year mm-hmm. bus, rail, maritime and the Secretary of State. We've never said we won't meet the Tories. What we said it was that they're not at the table. I'm negotiating with the employers. You've also lied that we left negotiations on Saturday and went to a rally. There were no negotiations scheduled for Saturday. You are a liar. Right. Well, let's video, just hang on. I mean, a video. of have been walking out this afternoon, giving a press conference. It's on videotape. And then we went back to the talks. Yeah, You're lying. Having, having said the strike's going to go ahead. You are a liar. Okay, what else? Should- <laughs> just like,
2: I mean, it's it's uh, it's extremely powerful stuff, and is also you know something that's been missing from public discourse for a long time. Just calling out this kind of BS talking point, and Mick, I mean, think ha- has the delivery to just be able to rise above all of that and not get bogged down in it.
1: And it's it's so nice to have a guy who's representing workers and not a political party. <laughs> yes, I feel like absolutely. that's part of what feels like amazing about this is like he doesn't. He's he's looking out for his people. Like it's it's awesome. Um, should we keep going? Where do you want to go to next?
2: Yeah, let's go to this. Well, let's go to this Ronan um, piece because I just wanted to highlight some of the language that's being used by mm-hmm. the right wing here because um, it, it's 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 very important. Ronan, um, good friend of our, of us at, at TMBS, editor at Tribune Magazine in the United Kingdom, um, wrote a piece called "Why the Establishment Hates the RMT." Um, And he uh, he notes this line right here, which I just think is quite despicable. Throughout this month, media commentators and politicians have sought to frame the strike as a matter of privilege. A train driver is paid on average fifty nine thousand pounds. Transport minister uh, Grant Shapps told Sky News a nurse is paid thirty one thousand. Given that disparity, how could these greedy RMT workers demand more? Mm -hmm. And let's just look at a couple things here. Unbelievable for a party that represents entrenched of aristocratic privilege to sit here and talk about uh, privilege in the first place, just (laughs) ridiculous on its on its face. Um, But also remember, this is exactly the kind of anti solidarity rhetoric that happens in this country too. a very famous one that I can think of is when we do things like the fight for 15, a basic minimum wage that people should be paid. Something that the right wing loves to bring up is we'll look at um, EMS workers first responders, people who show up in the ambulance to take care of you in your moments of need, those people are only paid $14 an hour. So you're saying that that's more important than you know making cheeseburgers or whatever, right? And inherently anti-solidarity anti-solida- um, rhetoric, especially when the answer is simple. No, those people should be getting paid more. And that is the exact point of this fight is saying the floor is too low and that brings everybody's standards of, of living down. But the thing is, is that even in this context, right? Um, that is extremely disingenuous, as Ronan goes on to say when he said that Chaps knew that the dispute was not about train drivers but about forty thousand workers across a vast range of jobs on the railway. He also knew their median salary thirty one thousand pounds a year. A clear um, example of misdi- misdirection you would struggle to find, but at least the nurses can look forward to his support when they ballot when they vote to go on strike, right. Um, I, I you know, the the fact is is that the union certainly has some membership who are paid, you know, a little bit more than median salaries or whatever um in the country. It's more despicable that this government is not paying nurses more, frankly. Um and also <laughs> yeah. the, the union is representing a wide group um who are all paid differently and their wages actually are very very low compared to other workers in the country right so disingenuous from the tories the entire framing of it anti-solidary anti-solidarity based even if like the facts were true which they're not um and it just shows exactly how the right wing and the capitalist press tries to create these tiers in your mind about what workers more privileged than the other because even at The high salary that uh, the that the Tory member of government was saying um, was some height of privilege, you can't afford to live in a city like London, which has been completely opened up um, for um, privateering billionaires and a, a group of people who have basically wrote, risen all the price of real estate in that area, the pilfering of the public good when you've seen council oh, yeah. houses turn into, go from under public control into private control, which has meant that many of those have now become some of the more expensive places to live. Houses that were built with the intention of them being for the people, now being used as vehicles for private um, gain, right? Like, those are the people who are privileged, not somebody who does the necessary labor to make sure that this society can function. Just absolutely just. Dis- one uh through and through
1: it's wild honestly to hear uh boris johnson talk about we are all in this together and we need pay discipline to mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, come out against this inflation like pay discipline i like you start talking like that like that's when we that's when us americans start throwing tea in the in the river like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, like pay discipline what like no there's everything's there, the costs are everything right. We need more money to pay for that stuff. Take it from like all of the financiers that you've rented the city out to. Like, yes. I mean, uh, like I, there's, there's one reason that I could think of to like be so obsequious to like world financial interests, and that's to trap them. <laughs> and at a certain point, like seize some of that stuff back for like the people there.
2: And in the US, we have the luxury of people like Larry Summers um, or uh, Fed Chair Powell coming out quite frankly and saying the way that they want to deal with inflation is to punish and lower the standards of living for workers. But pay attention to where this kind of like we're all in it together. Rhetoric is it's always about getting wage cuts for working people. It's never about confiscating and, and pushing back on the extreme wealth inequality that we have in both the United States and the United Kingdom, which is a much, much larger driver of inflation um, than anything uh, that any amount of the money that's gone to working people in the first place. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's like at, at a certain point when through everything that we're told by these um, by like the political parties that cater to these rich folks that the world is collapsing. Well, none of you seem to be affected by it <laughs> really at all. And uh, and we and, and so you need rail workers uh, to, to face the uh, to take <laughs> yeah, 18,000 more jobs lost uh, so we can fight inflation. Are you fucking kidding me?
2: No, it's a joke. We got another one coming.
1: We got one here, yep.
2: This is, I think, out of all the clips, I love all of them. This mm-hmm. one is the w- one of the best because Mick lays out very, very clearly what's happening, not just in the United Kingdom, but also across the world.
1: Oh, come on. Uh, let me... Hold on, let me refresh. Okay, and, uh, yeah, no worries.
2: Well, while while you're getting that ready, um, I also wanted to note um that this hasn't been isolated, um, this this pushback. So it looks like um we don't know how it's gonna go yet, um, but this is from Reuters. Uh UK, let me pull it up for y'all right quick. UK union to ballot postal workers over Royal Mail Pay, pay Award. The union representing staff at British Postal Group Royal Mail said on Tuesday it would hold a ballot that could lead to an industrial action after the two sides clashed over pay. Royal Mail, which blamed the Communication Workers Union for threatening its ability to hit profit targets in May, said it had offered a 5.5% pay raise for CWU-grade workers, its biggest increase in years. Um, The union rejected the terms it said. Um, the step towards the Postal Service strikes comes as Britain's trade unions grapple with employers overpaying in the face of surging inflation. Britain's rail network was brought to a near standstill on Tuesday by its biggest strike in 30 years. So the Tory government and the powerful in the, this country, in that country now face the potential where not only are the trains, coming to a halt, that the mail itself uh, might shut down. And remember that, like, you know, all of this kind this is a big trick here that they're doing when they're talking about the the deal that the RMT is trying to negotiate um, and the deal here um, with the union with the rail mail workers is they're saying like, well, look at this pay increase. It's like the largest that we've seen um, in years. We'll compare that to the actual inflation that people are experiencing, because if inflation is going up 10% and you get a 5% raise, you are getting a 5% pay cut. That is what you are getting. That's not a pay raise. Right. That's a pay cut, just misdirected. So it doesn't seem like it. And always remember that whenever they try to frame it in that way, that they're trying to obscure that fact, Um, because it's a very clear, a very easy thing to do. The media loves to talk about inflation, except in the context of people's wages and the amount of money that they're taking home at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. I got this clip for us now, too.
5: If you're saying that everyone deserves a pay rise, are you not worried about the impact that this could have on inflation, which is, you know, the very thing that everyone's really concerned about? You know, the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, calling for pay restraint because it could be... Well, pay
6: restraint, he's on £600,000 a year, (laughs) as is the chief of network rail. There are railway bosses taking home millions of pounds every year. The railway's made £500 million Of profit last year when uh, fares and passengers were at an all-time low people are stripping money out of the railway they're stripping money out of the economy and if workers wages don't go up it means a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich we've got more billionaires than we've ever had in this country the rich have never been richer And the reason they're able to do that and get richer all the time is because they're deliberately depressing workers' wages. Inflation has come on board now, and virtually nobody's had a pay rise for the last two or three years. So this idea that there's a wages price spiral is nonsense.
2: This has been just some of the best mass political education I think we've seen in in years. I mean, just laying it out extremely clearly. And I love that point, too, that it's not just about a question of like, oh, is this meeting our standards when you're able to suppress wages? That means you get more money and profit. And that has to be remembered as a part of this equation here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I saw Grace Blakely actually made a similar point. Like, where's the money going? (laughs) Like uh, um, prices are rising now. We do have a uh, two little entries for the worst responses uh, mm-hmm. to the, uh, the the strike here. First comes from a guy named, frankly, too close to my own name. Uh, his name is Matthew Lesh. Uh, <laughs>
2: that is scary. Uh,
1: and uh, I'm Matt Leck. Uh, you know, uh, but anyway. Strolled straight past the RMT union picket line for my train. A pretty pathetic effort. A put the pathetic. I, I, I'm not gonna do the accent. <laughs> Barely anybody bothered to show up. Screams of scabbed out. I just want to say, uh, uh, when I look at that photo, I know who I'm sympathetic to, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not the uh, the a Walson guy in the foreground. <laughs> Um, and it
2: also should be known, this is a guy who works for a free market think tank, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of the real tragedies of the moment is that while well, you can imagine the way that our our opponents look, they actually all just look like this guy. <laughs> I
1: <don't> know man. <laughs> also the Liberal Democrats, uh <laughs> a party who i i
2: taking a strong stance on this huge issue here
1: i mean i don't know why these folks exist but this is amazing um frankly this is from the lib dems this was a deleted tweet frankly the government and rmt are just as bad as each other the country is sick of them both playing with people's lives that whole they're just as bad as each other is the most infantile way of elaborating it frankly the dumbest way to look at anything political like it's everything is just bad and if everyone could just agree that you know politics is bad we'd we could all like have a you know go have our coffee or lattes or something like that like oh i hate this
2: well the the point here is with the liberal democrats is that they have exceed they have lived beyond their need Because the Mm -hmm. need for them as a party was for a place for whiny people who were scared of being associated uh, with the Tory party, uh, but wanted to oppose any kind of policy that was going to improve people's lives. Remember, um, you know, this is a group that, you know, broke ranks with the the Labour Party back um, in the day uh, to implement bag taxes on working people and increase the the amount of taxes that people had to pay. Right. Um, You know, just just a really vile organization Um, and. You don't need them anymore because the Labor Party under Keir Starmer uh, under Keir Starmer has completely turned their back on the people that their party's name implies that they should be representing. Mm -hmm. So Keir Starmer um, has one is not supporting the strikes or the union here. He is also forbidden um, labor MPs from showing up on the picket line um, with uh, these workers who are fighting for their basic right um, to organize and to voice their displeasure at truly a draconian and, uh, and and severe austerity that is trying to be put on them by the Tory Party, Keir Starmer not only is not standing with them, he is threatening members of his own party that if they stand with them, he will take disciplinary action. And as you've seen um, with Jeremy Corbyn and the coup that followed, there, um, you know, they are willing to go quite quite far in fighting to make sure that the Labour Party is a party that is friendly to capital over the interests of workers.
1: Okay. <laughs> this, there's, there's the, this is the fella here
2: no i mean it's it's truly truly uh, despicable there has been i mean i think it's it's worth noting um uh, there has been dissent from within the party um uh, to this rule uh where there have been some members who have shown up at the picket line there's also just some of the things that i've read like in the guardian um whispers that if he does try um, to discipline members that more people will actually stand up um, and, and, and push back against it. But it's just, just a really notable um, thing, especially for people in the United States who might not have been following what's happened post-Corbyn here, to recognize that it has never been more clear um, that both the um, party of government, the Tory party, and the party of opposition are united um, in fighting for the interests of capital over the interests of workers across the board. And this Exciting labor action and all of the um, solidarity and movement that we're seeing is a very, very encouraging sign that people are recognizing that this carcass of the Labor Party under Keir Starmer is no longer going to represent them. And they're going to take matters into their own hands. And they have direct tools that they can use to improve not only their lives, um, but through the uh, through the inspiration and the mobilization here, the lives of many, many,
1: many other working people. Yeah, absolutely. Really well put. I mean, yeah, like, I mean th- that, that whole, that this is happening at a time where in the labor party has just become the Lib Dems uh, is it's very interesting.
2: And in some ways, I mean, frankly, even worse, like they don't even have the balls to show up for something like this. Um, it's ridiculous. You know, uh, Tories have accused the RMT RMT, of bankrolling the Labor Party, uh, which is not true because the RMT disaffiliated from the Labor Party in 2004. And as we're seeing, um, many other unions in the country have uh, have either disaffiliated or have active campaigns to disaffiliate from the Labor Party because for years, labor unions were giving uh, proceeds to uh, the Labor Party, but the Labor Party has turned their backs on them and are much, much more... um, are are much much more interested in receiving campaign uh, donations from cosmopolitans in london um, who don't like the kind of mean rhetoric of boris johnson um, but certainly don't want to see the person um, whose work gets them to their job on time delivers their food or anything like that sees any kind of increase in their standard of living and uh, i i mean there is a in many ways, while, when the Bernie movement and the Corbyn movement um, were at their height, um, we were oftentimes trying to do, you know. Cross the pond analysis, right? What can we learn from uh, the Corbyn Labor Party, right? And I think this is a moment, not just this strike itself, but all of the things that have uh, gone on, right? From the election of Sharon Graham um, at Unite the Union, which took a very, very hard line stance against Keir Starmer and the backstabbing, backstabbing members of the Labor Party, that they're not going to fund them anymore. They're not going to stand with them anymore if they're not going to fight for workers. And you know what? We're going to fight for ourselves because we're realizing that all of y'all are just trying to sell us a raw deal here. Right. In the same way that we learn learned from some of, you know, Corbyn's rhetoric or, or movements or strategies. This is something that us in the United States can really see as an example um, of a way to not step out of politics because we're not sort of operating within one of these major parties, but to actually engage in politics on our terrain, uh, which is the, the terrain of, of work.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: We have a couple more uh, of these Mick ones that I think are worth getting to if we could. Um,
1: yeah is this the uh, James Connolly
2: yeah very the lead there um, so, <laughs> so this is this is uh, <laughs> Mick Lynch here um, noting who one of his most uh, important uh, one of his who, who's favorite political figure of all time
1: I like the uh, hashtag in the background says uh, hashtag McMania and I'll just say like <laughs> compared to uh, uh, speaking of the liberal Democrats hashtag Cleggmania. Uh, this is quite an improvement <laughs> I <laughs>
6: think so
7: Who's your political hero?
6: James Connolly.
7: James Connolly.
6: Do you know who James Connolly is? He's no, an explain. Irish socialist republican, and he educated himself and he started uh, non-sectarian trade unionism in Ireland, and he was a hero of the Irish Revolution.
5: So he is your hero. No, He's what a about, hero. What about? <laughs>
6: that's just
2: like a fuck yes moment like that's exactly who you want to be in the room fighting for working people somebody who's learned uh, from the incredible work of james Connolly. and if it's not too shameless um if people are interested in james Connolly, we did an incredible conversation uh, with one of our good friends and, and teachers paul connell um do you have that uh yeah here we go that cover handy uh, our radical tradition, James Connolly, which is now, um, it'd be great if you signed up at patreon.com slash left to get access, but it has also been released uh, to the public. So you can find that on YouTube. I mean, James Connolly really is uh, one of those people um, who not only was an incredible theorist and writer, um, was somebody who was an active participant and, and, and a revolutionary. Um, and there's a lot you can learn from from his movement there.
1: I mean it is absolutely zero surprise uh that Mick would uh, look up to this yeah, guy based on, you know, I mean you'll see like it's almost like are they time travelers? Like <laughs> do we have a bunch of time traveling <laughs> union guys? Um uh, because it's 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 the I mean the principles they stay the same, it looks like so. building
2: off of that great Irish tradition there. Yeah. Um well man, I mean I'm sure we'll I mean this is ongoing, so there's gonna be more to cover. Um is there anything else that you wanted to note here?
1: I just want to say, like, this is a good time, you know, um, for social media activism flood the zone with yeah. positive sentiment because they're going to come for this guy i'm f- afraid like, like, oh, no doubt about you it. you look at the tory press what they did to corbin like this is
2: they this came after to corbin who was like one of the most agreeable people exactly. in like, the history of politics yeah
1: this is so like uh get out there um join mcmania and uh you know have his back um and uh, and also uh, all the striking workers i mean that should shouldn't need to be said uh, mm-hmm. i guess but you know yeah
2: so we'll keep covering this. We're really excited. Um, well, yeah, so here's what we're going to do, y'all. Um, in just a second, we're going to go over to Chip Gibbons, uh, who joined us to talk about the uh, Biden administration's attempt, attempt to bring him over to this country to torture him uh, for exposing American war crimes of the most egregious nature. Uh, it's a very important conversation, and Chip is, is a really wonderful um, organizer, writer, journalist, um, and uh, I hope that y'all enjoy it. We did title this Texas GOP goes off the rails, um, but we're gonna do, I'm going to do that tomorrow during the Griscom stream. I think I'll probably go on around 5 Central. Um, so if you want to get that, um, you'll get that tomorrow, uh, t- uh, Thursday afternoon, 5 Central. I'll also be talking about Columbia the french elections um because there's some really exciting stuff that came out of that as well um so don't worry we're not uh, uh, we're not ignoring those stories we're just going to have to come back to them uh, because i think that this 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 movement here in the uk is truly um a, a very very exciting one i mean one of the biggest strikes that we've been able to cover on this program um mean one of the biggest strikes in the country in decades so sorry that's yeah. going to come to the top of the, the the docket for us every time
1: absolutely And uh, I'm going to be doing a Leck Reckoning Friday uh, evening. So uh, look forward to that.
2: And one more plug. Um, immediately after our interview with Chip, we'll come on say hello, uh, say goodbye, and then we're going to go over to Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Left Reckoning, uh, where we are going to be joined by Gene Bajelon, uh, who's going to talk about uh, the new project Sublation Media and Sublation Magazine. Uh, we talk about the state of the left and a few other really fun things. And as always, after that, we'll be taking your questions and calls. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at one nine four zero two eight nine seven two three four um but yeah we'll be doing that and usually we say we're going to do it immediately this time we really will like once this is over we'll be popping over at twitch um so we'll see all of y'all there but enjoy this conversation we have with chip here
1: peace Welcome back, Left Reckoners. I'm Matt Lick. With me, as always, David Griscom. Hello, David.
2: Man, happy to be here.
1: And joining us once again, uh, journalist Chip Gibbons. Chip is—you uh, can read Chip in Jacobin, The Nation, In These Times. is a policy director of Defending Rights and Dissent, and the host of the Still Spying podcast. Chip, thanks so much uh, for being here, even though oh. it's again not under great circumstances for what our uh, country's doing.
7: I'm—I'm I'm happy you always have me back. I, I wish our government would would make better choices than then you would not have to invite me back. But you know, yeah. Uh, well,
1: maybe we'll have time to interrogate those incentives if Chip is—Chip uh, sure. Chip is invested. In our, our government uh, continuing if to be Joe
7: performing. Biden wants me to go away. Stop <laughs> the extradition of Julian Assange. A so, win win yeah, for uh, everyone.
1: I, I'm, I, maybe, David, you have some uh, idea on this. Should we start with what we know thanks to Julian Assange, or should we start with the yes. topical? Okay, yeah. So give us a, uh, a breakdown of what we know thanks to Julian Assange's disclosures.
7: I mean, we know a tremendous amount of things thanks to Julian Assange's disclosures. The disclosures that are he's being prosecuted are uh, a number of war logs from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, State Department cables, and the detainee assessment files from Guantanamo Bay. I, I have somewhere on my bookshelf behind me a book called The WikiLeaks Files, uh, published by, by Verso, where every chapter are different experts from a particular region Latin America, Southeast Asia, just going through the massive cache of files from those countries. So we, we know all kinds of things from, um, we, we know about, of course, that gunship, that, that gunned down the two Reuters journalists in Iraq. We, we, we know how many civilian casualties they had recorded in, in Iraq. Uh, we also know things about U.S. support for corruption in Tunisia that, allegedly or arguably inspired the Arab Spring. We know that the U S was bombing Yemen and Yemen was taking credit for the bombings. Uh, we know that in Latin America, they were trying to undermine left. I mean, we we obviously always know they're trying to undermine left wing governments in Latin America, but we, we had the actual proof there. Uh, there's some very interesting cables from, I believe the Israeli, um, minister or from Israel about about Iran, where they tell the US they're too sensitive after the weapons of mass destruction, uh, and, and are not making good judgments about assessing Iran's nuclear threat, because they don't want to repeat of that incident. Um, we we know that in Haiti, they put pressure on the Haitian government to not raise the minimum wage. So really, in every country, in every corner of the world, we know um what the u.s was doing in that corner and it's not good it's worth going back to how chelsea manning uh described her actions with the man who was unfortunately the snitch who turned her in i'm not going to say his name uh but you know she mentioned that she wanted to remove the fog of asymmetrical warfare and let the american people have a debate on that and also With the State Department cables, she had all these cables from what I think she described as crazy, almost criminal backroom dealings that show how the First World exploits the First World. So what we know is how the U.S. Empire operates, both in terms of these sorts of horrible military invasions and occupations and these murderous war crimes like what we saw in the collateral murder video and both in in terms of stuff like exerting diplomatic pressure in order to get one of the poorest countries in the hemisphere to to not raise its minimum wage.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to say this up top and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a little bit later. But one thing that's like really notable and worrying to me about this round of... uh, um extradition we're getting from the U.S. is the kind of PR war against Assange, particularly with liberals in this country, right? Because, you know, the things that when you know he's exposing American war crimes abroad, I think a lot of liberals coming out of maybe some kind of anti-war position, you know, viewed him in a favorable light. But then the emails that were leaked Uh, From the Clinton campaign, a lot of people have sort of taken that as a justified excuse for the American state to now bring him over to this country and torture him uh, for journalism. And I just want to say, like, up front, even if that was what they were doing was coming after him for leaking the emails. I would be against it, right, because this is a journalist who got information that was useful. I mean, that, you know, in those emails, it was exposed the amount of collusion against Bernie Sanders. This was somebody who's about to be the president of the United States, right? That is like deserves to be in public knowledge and public record straight up. But again, it's worth reminding folks that what the state is coming after Assange for right now is ex- exposing American uh, war crimes abroad.
7: Yeah, I mean, you could read the indictment and I, I usually have it in front of me. I, I like I would like read the counts and I'll be like, count five unauthorized disclosure of national defense information parentheses guantanamo detainee assessment files mm. count whatever unauthorized disclosure of, of of national defense information um iraq war logs right the account the the, the counts in the indictment spell out what the quote-unquote because the espionage act um wonderful act predates classification very helpful mm. Predates modern First Amendment jurisprudence. Very, very helpful. Uh, so it uses this obtuse phrase called national defense information, and in each of the the counts, they put in parentheses what it is, and it's Iraq war logs. It's Guantanamo Bay. Like it says it in the indictment. Like there's no question. And you know it, you 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 you'll see people in the uh, comment sections of like the ACLU, like why are you doing this? I thought you were on our side, don't you know Assange is a Russian agent who leaked Hillary Clinton's emails? And that's what he's wanted for. And it's like, have you ever read the indictment? Like, that's not what he's wanted for. And it's worth pointing out that Mueller and the Mueller investigation considered the issue of charging Assange and declined to do so uh, Mm. due to lack of evidence. And it's also worth pointing out, the DNC sued WikiLeaks and the suit was thrown out on first amendment grounds wow. on the grounds that WikiLeaks it's a well established first amendment principle that a journalist is not responsible for sharing wrongfully obtained information so long as they did not participate in, in, in wrongfully obtaining it. And I know there's a huge debate about where the DNC cables came from. I, I, I don't want to go down mm-hmm. that rabbit hole, um, but even if you assume the worst-case scenario, right, there's no crime there. I mean, it was literally mm-hmm. – it's, it's much easier to bring a civil suit against someone than it is for a criminal one. And a judge threw out the DNC's claims against WikiLeaks on the basis of the First Amendment. Mueller did not indict Assange under anything to do with Russia. And while I share your agreement that there is no, no basis for prosecuting him for, for the DNC uh, leaks – you know, this whole argument that Hillary Clinton would have won if only the American people had not known truthful information about her, like that's a really mm-hmm. bad argument. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it's such a weird like. Oh, well, I mean, did she do these things? Yes. Are these her views? Yes. But if the American people hadn't known it, I, And yeah. You know, and you know, I'm, I'm not a big Hillary Clinton fan, but I will point out, like, she got three million more votes than Donald Trump, and. Mm-hmm. Due to this very antiquated system called the electoral college, which was designed uh, in part based on slavery, but also just sort of the broader issue of the states that had the most people had the lowest number of voters, right? Both because of slaves and because of, um, you know, property limitations on franchise, right? Mm-hmm. So so the states with the biggest populations let the less people vote and the states with the smallest populations let the most people vote. And this is literally what they say. The constitution convention, James Madison father of the constitution says popular election or popular vote is best, but under popular vote, Virginia will never get to elect her leaders. Guess what state has the most presidents from it? Virginia. So the electoral college is a very good system for electing Virginians in the early 1800s, based on a slave society. Um, is it a good system for determining the president in a 2020, 2016? <laughs> I, I, I I would say no. I, I'm happy to hear another <laughs> argument. But it's a very good system for electing Virginians. Um, you know, yeah. when you consider its stated purpose is popular vote is best, but with popular vote, Virginia will never. El- it really did work out very well as it mm-hmm. was supposed to do. They just don't teach that part. But but no. Um, and I am also aware that you know he was accused of very serious crimes in Sweden, and that plays a huge role in some people's um diminished uh, view of him. Although two different United Nations bodies. Uh, both the United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention and the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, the Special Rapporteur on Torture who reads Swedish and read 10,000 pages of Swedish documents in the original language have criticized what the Swedish government did. The investigation never resulted in any charges. And the claim that he sort of avoided accountability for this investigation by heidi and embassy is is false when sweden mm-hmm. drops the preliminary investigation the final time julian assange is in uk custody the uk and the swedish courts say you cannot extradite him to sweden because you can interview him for a third time he's already submitted to two interviews from swedish prosecutors this time you can interview him for a third time in uk custody and the swedish government has him In Being detained by the UK, they have a chance to interview him a third time, and they say, we will not do so because no amount of evidence will ever produce a case we can take to court. Goodbye. And I I, I understand that sexual assault is a very serious crime, and it's a crime that is oftentimes not taken seriously or under-investigated. And, you know, some of Assange's supporters have made comments that are, are unreflective of the sensitivity of the situation. Those people who brought these allegations have a right to be taken serious and have a right to be. Mm-hmm. be. But I mean, this was not an under investigated thing. I mean, you had a landmark Interpol red notice for someone who was wanted for questioning. And, and some of the actions of the Swedish government were criticized, not just by um, various UN bodies, but by the UK group women against rape on the grounds that by, so clearly politicizing this, they were doing a disservice to mm-hmm. you know the actual pursuit of of justice um so i I do understand that's a very sensitive allegation, and we should take it seriously, but it never resulted in a charge. Assange initially delays his 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 time in Sweden to submit to the first round of questions i 'm not going to go through all the legal history here; he agrees to an interview in the embassy, and he agrees to go back to Sweden on the basis that they would agree not to extradite him to the U.S. And as the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture has said, that is a reasonable demand. It has some fancy uh, international uh, non-refoulement, the principle of non-refoulement. And, you know, the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture has said point blank when a government refuses to embrace the principle of non-refoulement. That's a huge red flag. Wow. And we know that the Australian government, believed using this sort of bizarre legal method called temporary surrender, the Swedes could have very easily put him in U.S. custody. So I, I, I really, you know, it's a serious allegation. Maybe it wasn't taken seriously enough, but it has no bearing on what the U.S. wants him for. And that process, you know, it played out and, and it didn't result in anything. And I, I'm not sure what what we're supposed to do with that now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just important to, to go through those because I think that, that there is a kind of strategy, I think, from from people, at least within the Democratic Party, who want to just you know, see this person in prison, regardless of what the reasonings are. There's, um, there's,
1: can I just jump in there, David? Yeah. Like, you know, even, you know, we went up top with the actual valuable disclosures that Assange has, has given us. Even if you took out everything of like sort of journalistic value and limited it to like the things that make people suspect he's just like an anti-Democrat agent, like the Hillary emails are. And I don't remember this as much, but I remember having a kind of issue with the climate gate emails. Um, and thinking like, and, and maybe that was just like, they're like, we'll publish anything Stance I don't have the full, but even if you limited to that, you still have to understand like the precedent, which I think mm-hmm. would be wrong to do Like What, what is being like, like Chip says, what's in the indictment, what they're actually going after him for it's for the stuff that, well, I guess we're, we're, we're going to factor out the equation. That's actually valuable um, mm-hmm. to expose in the way our government and uh, military operates.
7: I mean, and WikiLeaks also. I mean, the first big thing they had in the U.S. was Sarah Palin's emails in 2008, mm-hmm. and I don't hear anybody bemoaning them for, you know, <laughs> stealing John McCain's rightful. You know, <laughs> if only the people had it known, he had appointed an idiot to be his vice president. I mean, <laughs> I believe he, I believe when he appoints Sarah Palin or nominates her, you know, she has the highest approval rating of any governor in the country. Like, real good pick. Mm-hmm. Turns out. Ah, uh, not not that sharp. Bit well, of a loose cannon, but no one ever bring like like what about her emails? Like no one ever does. Yeah, to Sarah Palin.
2: No, that's a good no. That's a good point. And who
7: is now a jillian Assange supporter in our very troubling political time? He she has decided that she wants to read Hillary's emails so much she is willing to support the man who leaked her emails.
2: Yeah, I mean and I think we should get we should get to that in a moment actually, just the way it has been sort of politicized in this country. But before we get there, um I wanted to sort of talk about the extradition, where it, it's at, but I think before we get there, maybe just to set the stage a little bit, here's a clip um from um a political org, um uh, an interview done by Loki, um with um Stella, then Stella Morris, who is now married to Julian Assange, Stella Assange. I um, mean, I think this just gives a good sense for people why this precedent is not only scary, but actually what Assange is very likely to be subjected to in the United States is so worrying.
4: But the prospect of the U.S. extradition is what I'm, what the the gravest fear is around because um, in the United States he would. Uh, be placed in extreme isolation. Uh, Solitary confinement in the US prison system is uh, routine. On any given day, it's estimated that 80,000 people are in solitary confinement in the United States. Uh, But because his case concerns um, the publication of classified material, uh, it's considered a national security case, and so they have an excuse to say it's a national security case. So we have to place him in isolation. Um, the fact that he's a suicide risk also gives them reason to isolate them, uh, isolate him, um, and that's why uh, there's just no question that if he goes to the U.S., he will be extremely isolated, uh, far far worse than anything he's he's um experiencing in belmarsh
2: and and just to be just to be clear too what he's experienced in belmarsh has been horrific too
7: yes yeah it's 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 really awful and, and belmarsh is one of the most notorious prisons in in the uk and i believe i'm not an expert in the uk prison system quickly becoming one, unfortunately. Um, but I believe it is reserved for a lot of high-profile national security, quote-unquote, national security defendants. Um, and any of these so-called national security prisons are clearly designed to be punitive, because the people there are presumed to be enemies of the state by, by virtue of their existence. Um, and I, I want to comment on some of what Stella wrote or said. I mean, I wrote a piece for Jacobin really Uh, based on my own time as a correspondent. I I attended virtually some of the hearings in the extradition, and I I read through the court papers and stuff. Um, And, you know, the the big issue... So what happened was... Let me me go back a little bit. So I think a lot of people thought that the U.S. would never uh, extradite or ex- indict Julian Assange under the extra, under the Espionage Act because espionage is considered a textbook political offense. Like if you get a law textbook out and you look up political offenses doctrine, um, they'll say there's absolute political offenses and relative political offenses. Absolute political offenses are espionage, treason, and sedition. Right? These are things that most extradition treaties bar the extradition of Uh, they've made this bizarre legal argument in in the uk i i I haven't really i cannot tell you i followed decades of of uk extradition law but that the current treaty with the us supersedes past things and does not prohibit political questions uh, as Mm. a non-extraditable offense but most people thought they would never go for espionage because it is it is such a textbook example of something you cannot extra and it makes sense right there are people in langley i hope this doesn't scandalize anyone they're committing espionage uh against mm. russia against china probably against germany and the uk too like if vladimir putin puts forward a uh you know extradition request you know send me send me the cia for extra for espionage i mean that's that's you know No country is going to honor that. And there's a reason why that is something you don't extradite people for. Uh, And and that was completely thrown aside. The initial judge, the district judge, which is called in the UK court system a, a DJ, which I have oftentimes found sort of perplexing when I'm listening to these hearings and they keep talking about a DJ. And I'm like... What is this disc jockey doing? Um, But no, the DJ. The DJ rejected all of the press freedom arguments, but ruled that his treatment in the U.S. would be oppressive given his mental health. They specifically focused in on what's called special administrative measures, which they place on some national security defendants, including the alleged source for uh, the Vault 7 leak, whose second trial is happening right now um joshua schulte and he's been in these really horrible conditions as well as the conditions at uh adx florence the u.s came back after the decisions and gave um assurances that they would not put assange in understand special administrative measures or in adx florence unless he did something after being in the u.s that made them do it so you know, hole you could drive a truck through. But but even in these assurances where they're like, we're not going to torture him. Um, they talk about where he's likely to be held, uh, which is the William G. Truesdale Alexandria Adult Detention Center in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm familiar with this jail because I have sent letters or requests for help uh to the UN Special rapporteur on torture on behalf of people who have been detained there. So I'm, I'm very actually familiar with the treatment of people there. It's, it's not good. Uh, and Gordon Cromberg, who is this sort of supervillain type figure who pops up in all of these terrible national security cases, you know, he claims there's no solitary confinement there, um, before he described the jail's protective housing custody and administrative se- uh, administrative segregation housing units, inmates in this custody are not allowed to interact with other inmates, and they are kept in their cells 22 hours a day. But according to the British prosecutors and the DOJ, holding someone in their cell for 22 hours a day isn't solitary confinement because – and this is Gordon Kronberg speaking on behalf of our government – Inmates in administrative segregation are able to speak to one another through the doors and windows of their cells. I'm quoting his court filing now. And that inmates can meet with their lawyers. Um, And I just want to be clear that, like, the United Nations Nelson Mandela rules define solitary confinement, okay? They define it as 22 hours or more a day without meaningful human contact. Uh, and solitary confinement in excess of 15 days constitutes prolonged solitary confinement, which violates international law and can amount to torture. So they are literally describing something that meets the international legal definition of cruel and degrading treatment. So even if and, and so much of the appeals was focused on whether or not anyone can trust you know, what the U.S. government has assured. And the answer is no, you cannot. But like, even if they follow their assurances, they are assuring the U.K. they will torture him. Like, that is the text of what they say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just in the mainstream media are unwilling to pick up on this. Like I said, I, I've known people who have been held in this jail and I have advocated on their behalf confidentially with the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture. The conditions there are terrible. We know what Chelsea Manning went through there. We know what Jeffrey Sterling went through. We know, you know, we know what Paul Manafort, like whatever you think of Paul Manafort, we know how he was treated there. And it was, it was torturous. I mean, we, yeah, we know if he goes there, they'll torture him. Like, that's not even an open question. They're, they're and, point blank saying it.
1: It says a lot about the U.S. and the U.K. that's happening. And my understanding, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it wasn't just because the judge felt like, oh, it's bad, and he felt for sons. like, Wasn't there something statutorily on the books in the U.K. that you can't extradite to uh, countries that might do stuff like that?
7: I believe so. I'm, I'm not an expert on, on U.K. law, but definitely if the extradition is oppressive, then you cannot, you cannot extradite them. There was a bunch of arguments in the appellate in the appeals about uh, what tests should have been applied, whether or not a particular expert should have been disqualified. And then the higher court ruled, overturned the lower, the, the DJ overturned the DJ and said that these conditions wouldn't have been oppressive. The Supreme court refused to hear the higher court then gave them permission to appeal to the Supreme court Based on some of the appeals issues they want to raise, not all of them, you have to get permission from one court to appeal to another. That I don't really understand the UK legal system. Um, I'll be very blunt. Uh, and then the Supreme Court ruled they would not hear the case. And then Priti Patel, the UK Home Secretary, has signed the extradition hearing or extradition request. Now they have 14 days to ask permission to appe- to file what's called a cross appeal. And that is from those parts of the judge's decision that went against Assange. So the mm-hmm. press freedom claims and the, um, the political questions question. So the judge rejected his press freedom claims, supported his um, prisons are bad in the U.S. claims. A uh, Higher court threw that out. Now the sec- home secretary has signed the order. Now they can appeal the press freedom stuff um and then after all that is said and done they can still go to the european court of human rights which is not part of the eu it's part of the council of europe uh the european court of human rights is able to issue binding decisions it's done a lot of past interesting binding decisions around uh, lgbt rights in ireland around treatment of ira prisoners in the uk Uh, and it's worth pointing out as an aside the Council of Europe, which the court is part of, uh, Commissioner for Human Rights, asked Pretty Patel publicly not to extract Assange because of the human rights. Obviously, the court is independent from the commissioner, but it, it is an institution that has acted less like the US and UK courts and more like the UN, right? It, it seems to be actually willing to take the human rights issue seriously. Um, and I... I that's one possible avenue, and then if that doesn't work, then he's in the U.S. and we can discuss the legal strategies there when that when that happens. Hopefully, it never happens. I'd love to talk to you about something else, but I'm I'm hoping we're not all sitting here talking about Julian Assange being in the Alexander detention center. I think that is a conversation I hope to never have in my life.
2: And. You know, just just one thing that I know when you we had you on last, we talked about this, but it's just worth re-upping. Um, the fact here is that Assange is not an American citizen, um, to my yeah. knowledge, has never like very much operated inside of the United States in the first place. And the precedent like not like just on the, like on the first level is like, are we going to come after journalists? Like that's extremely scary. But it's also this really perverse privilege now. That the United States is extending to the rest of the globe, which is that we will try you, um, you know, in this country with our horrific legal system if you so much as sort of step um, in our way. Right. Which is a very, very worrying precedent. And and one, uh, not to get too, you know, starry eyed, misty eyed about this country. But, you know, ostensibly, this is a democracy. This stuff is happening in our name as American citizens. And it's something that we should be extremely uncomfortable with the government taking these huge steps to do.
7: Yeah, I mean, the idea of extraterritorially applying the Espionage Act is absurd for the reasons I I outlined earlier. Even if you were dealing with, like, actual espionage, are you going to ask Putin or China or the CIA to extradite their spies? No, that's that's absurd. Uh, To extraterritorially claim the right to seize, capture, and bring to your country a foreign journalist, a foreign publisher of information to stand trial for publishing truthful information about your war crimes. I mean, that is a shocking claim. And that's not just the death of the first amendment. That is the death of press freedom globally. And I think one of the reasons why we see such a strong reaction to this around the world, where the reaction is very different than the U S reaction is because to most people outside the U S this is a powerful empire, uh, using the full weight of its, power and prestige and repressive apparatuses to torture and capture one of its critics right this is a guy who poked his stick in the eye of the u.s by exposing truthfully our war crimes and now we've plotted to kidnap him we have plotted to kill him we've we've done all mm-hmm. these terrible things then to we've tortured him and now we're going to put him on trial and i i think to the rest of the world i mean it, it looks really horrible and that's why you see you know like liberal or mainstream newspapers in the uk or australia like really taking hardline editorial lines against this i mean imagine if i don't know alexis Navalny was in like belarus and they were gonna extra, or not i don't know I, i'm trying to think of so imagine someone in this country who writes uh for like foreign policy magazine or the mm-hmm. atlantic council about you know corruption in Russia. Imagine if like Belarus, you know, seized him from the Canadian embassy, and and then we're going to extradite him to Russia. Like, think about the reaction to that would be. And and that is that is how the rest of the world rightfully feels about this. And you know the fact that Assange revealed so much about U.S. abuses towards the global South, Latin America, Haiti, Middle East. Uh, I really think that also creates this dynamic where people in the global South really have a a strong understanding of what this is about, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, And like, maybe just to um, follow up with that, we have this short, Clip, it's in Spanish, y'all. Um, as it should be, um, of AMLO speaking, um, about Julian Assange. Um, this was uh, just a couple days ago, courtesy of Kurt Hackbarth. I'm just going to play a couple seconds of of the audio because, um, in it, he mentions that he is going to um, pressure Biden on this issue. And in his press conference, actually played um, some of the footage of a, a U.S. Apache helicopter. Um, that ended up killing 18 people, including uh, two journalists. So just play this for a couple seconds. we got a
0: guy shooting. Now uh, he's
4: behind the building. It's a conversation. Uh, <coughs> uh, next, Roger. he was the right phone. Are there some pilots? Yes, some pilots. There's a conversation. They're seeing a group and they're agreeing to shoot. But they're journalists who were... Blanco.
2: and it's just um, it's, it's worth noting that in because I'm curious what your thoughts are on this that like there has been you know significant condemnation, obviously, we all know the reason that Assange was in the Ecuadorian embassy was at first that government was trying to give him some form of asylum. Um, you saw uh, Melanchon, who ended up not winning outright the prime minister position, but saying that he would uh, make Assange a French citizen and give him a medal of honor immediately. Of that didn't come to pass. Um, I mean, and, and also just noting too, for people who've been watching the show, you know, we've been talking about how AMLO has been um, taking more of, of these kind of stances. He also called the American blockade of Cuba genocide. Um, I, I'm just curious, you know, your feelings on the kind of international um response regarding this case specifically mainly from international governments too
7: i I mean you look around the world at who the big people of the international left are jeremy corbyn Mm Yanis Varoufakis, uh the former socialist president prime minister i think they're prime minister of spain zapatero um lula you know Mm -hmm. Correa They've all supported uh, Julian Assange. The left around the world in Parliament has supported them. And in many of these cases, they cite things that Julian Assange revealed that were positive of their country. I I don't think Melanchthon brought it up in that quote, but in the past, when he's talked about inducting Julian Assange into the Legion of Honor, he mentions that Julian Assange exposed NSA surveillance of French presidential candidates, hmm, right? Hmm, and it's, hmm. that's and, and they haven't. An, you know, Yanis Varoufakis has spoken about um, information. I think with the IMF or, or one of these international uh, sort of monetary monsters, you know, and, and Greece uh, in Latin America, he has he has exposed lots of information about U.S. interference in Latin America, and you know, even if you're not in a country where there's information about about sort of interference. I mean, watching that video of that attack helicopter, and I always get very, I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times, and I always get very emotional when I watched it because, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's 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 a scene in it where where tries to save 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 children, and that is Ethan McCord, and he's been in the public life for a long time, but he did interviews with Democracy Now and and other stories, and you know. I watched that video once in a room with him, okay? Like, I watched mm-hmm. the collateral murder video in a room with one of the people who were in it, and that that has never left me, okay? That, to this mm-hmm. day, really, really haunts me. Um, I, I mean, it, it's such a horrible crime, and to know what some of the people on the ground who tried to do something about it, and were ignored, and we just totally chewed up by by the v a mental health system it 's really a, mm-hmm. an ugly story at every turn um and i i and you know after that i mean, i 'm never going to leave this case alone having had that experience that 's a huge a uh, driving driving factor for me um and, you know, people look at that and they're disgusted by it. And I think for a lot of the world, especially in countries where they know what it's like to have a big country or a big multinationals, have their boot on your neck, take away your mm-hmm. dignity, take away your sovereignty, override your system. They totally look at Julian Assange as a hero a hero who exposed an empire and is paying the ultimate price because that empire wants to silence and punish anybody who stands up to them. And, 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 you know, that's how he's viewed in a lot of parts of the world. I mean, I know in the U S he was mean to the CIA and he was mean to Hillary Clinton and some of his tweets had some bad stuff in it. Right. But, but what, you know, once you get outside of that, you know, this is a man who took on empire because he believed that if lies can start war, Truth can end them, okay? That was his operating motto. That is what he set out to do, and he has been tortured, okay? The United Nations have found he has been tortured. And I've interviewed interviewed the UN Special Rapporteur who made that finding. He brought medical experts with him, and they examined him. Mm -hmm. It was an extremely rigorous process, and he's totally open about the fact that he went into it not wanting to be involved because he thought Julian Assange was a bad man and because he thought the charges of torture were farcical. But he brought independent medical experts, independent psychiatrists, people who are experts in torture, and they examined him and they discovered he had been psychologically tortured and the more he learned about the case, the more he learned everything he'd been told was a lie. And then, he, he, and you know, he's very famously said, you cannot expect the people who Julian Assange exposed to tell us the truth about him. Um, so I think it's great that Amlo is standing up for Julian Assange. I know in the past he's offered him asylum. I, I know Ecuador offered him asylum. And I really do think that there is a story with the Assange revelations that are about sort of left-wing Latin American governments reasserting their sovereignty against the U.S., Uh, With the Ecuador thing, you know, you always hear this story that he wore out his welcome with the Ecuadorians, he was too Mm -hmm. messy in the embassy, so they evicted him, which is a bullshit media narrative. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had a government in Ecuador that supported him. Correa, Guillaume Long... God, I'm blanking on the other guy, the consular in in, in London. They all still support him. They still all publicly support him. But another government came in and got all these loans from the IMF and Mike Pence went down to Ecuador and members of the Democratic Party sent Mike Pence a letter saying, in Ecuador, you better bring up the Assange issue. The UK Mm -hmm. had an entire program called Operation Pelican to get him out of the embassy. So it's not that Julian Assange wore out his welcome. It's that one government asserted their sovereignty in protecting him, and another completely capitulated to the United States, as many many governments around the world do. But you'll you'll yeah. never hear a story about the independence and sovereignty of Latin America mm-hmm. and the U.S. press. You know, guess the
1: uh, I don't know if you you might remember Chip for David. Guess the uh, senator that uh, led the Democrats that uh, sending that letter to you know bring up a Bob Mendez. Yep, Bob, Bob <laughs> Mendez. <laughs> so, like, maybe the Lord. most corrupt guys in the uh, in Congress, but yeah.
7: I, I just, this is what we're stuck with. I mean, <laughs> in the rest of the world, you know, it's like Jeremy Corbyn and Diane Abbott and Yanis Varoufakis and Belen Shaw be like, what are you doing, US? And we get like Democratic Party, Bob Mendez, Mike Pence's soft on Julian Assange, soft mm-hmm. on journalism, Donald Trump. You know, yeah. Donald Trump notoriously uh, soft on journalism.
1: And uh, I mean, I don't know if you noticed anybody else, but I think it was, is it true that Ilhan Omar is the only uh, Democrat that's spoken out in favor of Assange or has anybody joined her?
7: So that's very complex. Uh, Kahana has repeatedly spoken out in hmm. favor of Assange. Uh, Kahana uh, did a live stream uh, a little while ago. Ilhan Omar reshared. um Hassan's segment about it with like a mm. positive emoji. Uh AOC has been heavily criticized by Assange supporters correctly. However, she has on two occasions stated that Obama was correct to not bring charges. But she did this interview with Jeremy Scahill where he asked her if she poured it pardoning him and she kept saying it's very complicated, it's very complicated, it's very complicated. And eventually mm. he pinned her into answering and her answer was he should not be charged under the Espionage Act. But she was definitely not willing to answer that question, did not show uh, tremendous courage. Uh, Elizabeth Warren had a very interesting remark, which was that uh, Julian Assange is a very bad man who's harmed U.S. national security, but Donald Trump should not use him to undermine the First Amendment. I think Sanders did another very Trump-focused tweet uh, all of the mm-hmm. Democratic presidential candidates were asked by the New York Times in a questionnaire about Assange. Some of them actually gave some interesting answers. But the most outspoken members of Congress on this issue are like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And mm-hmm. I think Bobard or whatever her name. I've I, I, I stopped following mm-hmm. Bobert. the super friend. Well, Bobert. Yeah, well, and it's not good.
2: Well, it's certainly not good. And it's like... <laughs> It's worrying because if if you are noting when these things are happening, right? So when there's a little bit of a courage of talking about, as you noted, a lot of it was very Trump focused, right? And it's just like, okay, so whoever's doing it, the other people are going to get worked up about it, right? So like if Biden's the one behind it, then Marjorie Taylor Greene is upset by it. Certainly she wouldn't be and wasn't when Trump was pursuing it. And yeah, you get worried with the the backbone of a lot of people who we might consider progressives in the Democratic Party not being able to stand up against it when effectively you have the most power to influence when it's your own guy doing it.
7: I think some of the Trumpers were critical when when Trump was doing it because they had the it's the deep state doing mm-hmm. it. Donald, I, I I believe Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar were were outspoken then as not to give them. I I mean, it's worth noting. Yeah. um, And I really think there are a lot of members of the Democratic Caucus who are completely uninformed on this issue. And, like, you talk to them, and it's like, what's Julian Assange been indicted for? It's Russia, right? It's like, no. And then you have others like AOC who I think know what the right thing to do is, but don't have the courage to do it. And Mm -hmm. I I know for a fact that there's a sense on the Hill from people who have spoken out on this that there's a lot of risk for doing so and there's not any reward. And criticize any politician all you want. They all do terrible things and you should be vocal in criticizing them. But I I, I do think we need to get better about creating a situation where these members of Congress are hearing from us, Mm -hmm. letting Mm -hmm. them know that we want – them to speak out for assange and we want them to amend the espionage act and when they do so to actually support them and have their backs because you know if, if you come out for assange as a democrat you're gonna have a lot of um sort of backlash against you um and i really think there's no excuse for their cowardice but i also think that we people who we could be doing better to push them along. Like there's a lot of of opportunities. There's opportunities here.
1: That's good. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 you mentioned about like the unthinking sort of like ignorance of a lot of like Dem staffers. It's like, how old are you? I'm only 33. How do I feel like father time with like a memory, like (laughs) able to go back and, and put these things into like proper proportion and that's their job. And, like, I mean, the AOC thing is is more understandable, just cowardice, right? And she and she's like, doesn't want to lead on a certain number of these issues and just needs to be pushed to. But the folks who are just like, oh, yeah, that's the anti-Hillary guy, right? And, and but, you know, it's horrifying. There are,
7: there are leftists in AOC's district. If they made this a priority mm-hmm. and they, like, went to her office and asked to talk to her about this and they, they went to her town halls and are like – you know, I, I don't agree if that's a complicated comment, but you did say the charges should have been brought. Will you write a letter to Merrick Garland? Will you do this? Mm-hmm. Will you do that? Thank you for saying that the Espionage Act shouldn't be used against reality winner in Chelsea Manning. Will you sponsor legislation to amend it? Uh, you know, and if anybody wants to do this in AOC's district, please reach out to me. I can give you some talking points. Um. But, you know, as someone who has spent a lot of time on the Hill trying to get progressive Democrats to speak out about Assange, someone who's been doing this since 2019, it is both very demoralizing, but also kind of hopeful because there are these opportunities. And I, I think sometimes we focus too much on getting demoralized and not enough mm. on like, I mean, I've heard, I, I once again criticize aoc all you want i I have no interest in defending any of these people but like the amount of energy that has been spent on her saying it's complicated versus her saying the charges shouldn't have been brought like i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's where our focus should be i mean like yes it's not complicated aoc but you know the charges shouldn't have been brought what are you doing to defend the first amendment i am your constituent and i want you to speak Mm -hmm. for me on this issue
1: yeah, maybe a little I think, bit too much uh, lamenting the shut door and not enough looking for the open window perhaps. Go ahead David.
2: No I think you're right and I think it's worth talking about if you're open to it that like you know with the like the free Assange movement in, in this country I mean it's it's hard to talk about it. it's like one block because there's a lot of different sections in it but I do get the sense that there is a section of it that is like just about having something that can be clinged on to that like the oh the system's not going to stand up for you or like the people who you might look up to are going to fail you. Right. And like, that's a focus. And again, it's not incorrect, um, but it's doesn't really create any kind of path out because if like the the criticism is just like the system's corrupt, then we're just watching, you know, this person march to to being tortured without any kind of viable plan for doing something about that. And I've never found that to be particularly helpful. I think that that's a good point.
7: What I always say to people is that we there's no guarantee if we do everything in our power and fight as hard as we can, that we will save Julian's life. But if we do nothing, if we sit back and do nothing, he will die. And we will lose the right to expose war crimes with that. All we can do right now is fight as hard as we can and make the best effort possible to save him. Because when we fight, we don't always win, but when we don't fight, we always lose. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an uphill battle but the fact that i do see these openings after i don't know how many fucking years i've been doing this you know <laughs> walking around capitol hill with people who don't give a fuck like because i see a bunch of openings i mean i i i am still i'm still sort of in on this issue i i, I think mm-hmm. if we just got our act together we could re- we could save julian i don't think it's impossible i think it's difficult okay mm-hmm. And I, I I I don't criticize people who feel very disillusioned because a lot of days I feel very disillusioned. Um, I I keep myself going by focusing on these extraordinarily small, extraordinary long shot openings, but by putting my energy into those. And you and there are days there are days where you know I set up a bunch of meetings and they all get cancelled mysteriously in a clearly coordinated way, and I'm like, i just like oh. you know, you know all right i i i do feel this way. and i and i i don't I don't want to criticize the people online who feel betrayed or disillusioned. I think you know there's a lot of criticisms of like ultra tendencies or nihilism or whatnot and and some of them are bad I think people fail to comprehend how many of them come from like disillusionment right like Mm -hmm. how many people really were expecting a lot from more than was possible right and and when such such a little amount was even delivered it's really hard to to have faith i mean i've become the person i've never wanted to be I, i'm in a lot of these backroom <laughs> meetings and i, I watch like school progress getting like oh have hope have hope um i assure you behind closed doors there are people who will do the right thing if you just put some pressure on them someone who's not me preferably one of their mm-hmm. constituents um and i i realize a lot of people are you know, if I was watching myself, I wouldn't believe any of that, right? I've heard people make those kinds of remarks. I'm like, that's bullshit. Stop defending these cowardly politicians. But I think we have to try to engage them. I think there are people who don't know anything who can maybe be reached, and I think there are people who know what the right thing is and need either be pushed into doing it or be made aware that there are people behind them who will stand with them. You know, I had an office talk to me about a particular domestic terrorism bill, and they were one of the only offices who was holding out on it, and they were like, I don't know what to do or not, and I said, you know, if you hold out on it, I'll stand with you, right? You you have to mm-hmm. be willing to say that to people. I mean, obviously, they're elected to serve us, they're elected to their jobs, they should show courage no matter what, but like sometimes they need to hear that there are people who will stand with them if they do the right thing because doing the right thing in Washington is an extremely lonely experience. I tell you what, after going on the BBC to defend, you know, Julian Assange, the most hated man in Washington, probably more hated than Osama bin Laden. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't get many dinner party invites, okay? No, I you know, can I'm imagine. Not, I, I'm not getting invited to Madeline Albright's salon. Um, <laughs> which I would go if, if you're listening. <laughs> oh, no, she's she's dead. Never mind. Um, if anyone is listening <laughs> who has a salon, uh, uh, I have no social calendar. I have rendered myself toxic in this city. Please invite me to your salons, your Ouija boards, whatever. You know, I'm have nothing but openings
1: yeah. you can fill uh, out I'll, your party
7: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah i'll tell you because I, I you I know
7: come to wherever you are and visit you you look like you're having fun yeah
2: <laughs> i'll just say i lived in i went to school in dc and, and lived there for a couple of years after graduating and i think you're 100% right about assange maybe being hated more than uh oh, Bin Laden. just like the conversations you'd hear at bars were just truly remarkable
7: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he did the two worst things you can do in D.C. He was mean to the CIA and he was mean to Hillary Clinton. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the two people you don't cross in Washington, the CIA and Hillary Clinton. Uh, if you want to if you want to be disappeared, you know, do well, those two things.
2: Well, well Chip, just you know, pick, pick lot... one
7: or pick one or the other. Pick Hillary Clinton <laughs> or the CIA. If you do both, you're in trouble. <laughs>
2: you're done. Um Well, just in in the last couple of minutes, Chip, um, if there's anything that anything that you'd like to sort of direct the audience to who might be inspired to maybe getting a little bit more involved or maybe some events that maybe not like timeline things that they might be keeping their eye out on, you know, just how could we direct people who are feeling like, all right, it's time to stop despairing and pop private.
7: Please come to rights and dot org and look at the take action section. We have so many actions around Julian Assange, around Daniel Hale, around the Espionage Act. I really think it helps for them to hear from you. Um, If you want to... I can't believe I'm going to do this. Uh, If you want to, like, actually do more than just an online action, please feel free to reach out to me at chip at rightsanddescent.org. I'm going to regret giving my email out. I already do. Um, (laughs) I am... And and I am happy to help you set that up. Like I am frustrated enough that if you want to go meet with your intransient congressperson, I will help you do it because I've already met with your intransient congressperson. So you know maybe <laughs> may, maybe you can do a better job.
1: Yeah, well, very nice. People, folks should follow Chip uh, at Chip Gibbons eighty nine and uh, at Rights Descend. Uh, Chip, thanks so much, and uh, you know until Thank next you time. For being me. Yeah, we love it.
7: On Julian's
2: freak. We're gonna do the Julian Freedom show next time. Jip is wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd, uh really important work. Um and uh yeah, great talking him. Uh, well, and uh I just have one note um uh, Laura Martin in the chat said, uh, you would, we'd be interested to note that, uh, 25 labor MPs did join the, uh, strike, uh, including the leader of the Scottish labor, uh, party. So that's good. at least." <laughs> well,
2: hell yeah. Well, um, here's what we're going to do because we went over a little bit on time. Y'all, um, tomorrow at five central, I'm going to be doing a Griscom stream and I'm going to talk about the Texas GOP and they're truly, uh, frightening and out of control, uh, convention. Also, have a Uvalde uh, update, and uh, yeah, we'll also talk about France and uh, Colombia because some exciting stuff happening there. Um, but without uh, further ado, um, remember you can always sign up to support the show at Patreon.com/slash Left Reckoning. All this month we are opening up the post game to the public on twitch.tv slash left reckoning. Uh, but usually that's gonna be for members only. If you want to come over with us immediately after this, like usually we take a little bit of time. I think it's gonna be like two minutes, five minutes tops. Um, we're gonna be joined by Gene Bajelon Talk about sublation media, the state of the left, a little bit on Bernie 24 again. Um, but you can support the show at patreon.com slash left reckoning. You get the post game and you also get a bonus episode each Sunday and we'll have one for y'all coming out uh, this Sunday as well. Um, but I hope everybody enjoyed uh, that conversation with Chip. Please do um, you know, look into the action, um, the, the, that website so that you can find ways to get involved because this is a very um, dire moment and it's right in front of us um you know the the reality that assange might be taken to the united states to face unspeakable horrors and um it's an important fight to be a part of so try to find ways to get involved if you can
1: and uh, these issues are ones that you can are uh, worth like trying to interface with your representatives on there's a book totally. who killed who killed Bertha on uh uh uh, by Nina LaCani about um, uh, dams, death squads, indigenous uh, defenders for the battle. But like, I remember this book talks about how, like, even despite like the Clintons' role in Honduras, um, you, you there were they had certain success reaching out to representatives on pushing the ball forward on certain issues, and it it, it can work. And uh, like like Chip said, like a lot of these folks they need to be uh, pushed into oh, doing, totally. uh, the right They need thing. to have
2: a threat to to yeah. their inaction. Yep. Um, so again you can leave us a message we'll play in the post game at one nine four zero nine seven two three four i'll say that again nine four zero two eight nine seven two three four and yeah will be over there in like five minutes please take care everybody